All right. How is everybody? I'm great. I'm great. Y'all, it has been cold as heck these last few days, hasn't it? Man, I don't know what, what it is, but I mean, it is, you know, it's bad when today is like the highs in the mid-30s and we're like, okay, okay, not bad, because it has been cold, cold. Hopefully everybody's pipes and pets have survived the last couple days. Um, I, I do like the cold. If the sun's shining, I can take the cold. Like, it's not bad. Last night, me and Jed, my son, made a fire outside because there's something about, like, if it's bitter cold and you can sit around a hot fire, it's just like, yeah, I don't love it. But for the most part, like, on days off when it's really cold, we end up watching movies and, you know, just staying inside, and it's, it's pretty nice as well. We do have a rule. I have a rule. No scary movies. I do not. I do not like scary movies at all. There are two members of my family that love scary stuff, and they can watch it on their own time because I'm like, I do not, I don't want anything freaky. But one time, one time I was uh, going to a movie and I had not seen a preview of it and I did not know that it was all about zombies. And so I don't know, I don't know what I thought it was about. I thought it was an apocalyptic like end of the world thing, but I did not know it was a scary movie about zombies. And so I walked in there and the first like three minutes is like, bang, jumps out at you. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I realized, oh gosh. And for some reason I just watched two hours of being scared and I do not I do not do well with that especially if I don't know it's coming I don't like it at all so I started thinking about that when I was thinking about our passage for tonight because it is the scariest story in the Bible it is freaky go to Mark chapter 5 Mark chapter 5 that's where we're at and just to give some context uh, y'all remember last week we ended Mark chapter 4 and it was the story where Jesus and the disciples got in a boat. There were other guys in other boats around them. And they set out from Capernaum. And they're going to go across the sea. It's a big lake, right? It's a freshwater sea. It's a big lake. It's about from Capernaum to where they're headed. It's about a six-mile journey, all right? And in the middle of that, they leave in the evening. And in the middle of that, y'all remember last week, they got caught up in this giant storm. And the storm's raging, it's going crazy. And they wake up Jesus and like, hey, we're about to die. And then Jesus says, be still. And the whole storm just, just gets quiet. And the disciples then are freaked out by Jesus. And they're like, oh, who is this guy? I mean, the wind and the waves obey him. And that's how the story ends. And you think the story's over, but Jesus has more in store because they continue on across the lake and we're going to pick it up where they hit the other shore. They're going to hit the, the far side over there. And probably at this point, the disciples are probably like, <sighs> like adrenaline dump, you know, ready for a rest. They've been up all night long fighting this storm. They watch this big, you know, miracle take place. They were freaked out and now they're good, but they don't know they are, I mean, they're jumping into a horror movie. They're, I mean, a zombie apocalypse situation. They don't even know. They're just like, ah, finally some sleep. And they get their boat up on the shore, and then it is chaos. All right, so they travel six miles up, uh, away into a rural setting. So they were kind of in Jewish land. They're going to hit kind of in Gentile land over here. And it's really rural. It's this area called the Gerasenes. And right at this point where they hit, there's cliffs that go down to the water. And there's a city that's kind of set back from, from the ocean. But right where they hit, it's a pretty rural area. Jesus knows what's about to happen. 
the disciples have no clue but the freakiest story in the Bible. Mark chapter 5, let's go in verse 1. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right, so it's set up to be a freaky story from the get-go because uh, cemeteries are freaky a little bit, right? Especially at night, but thankfully these guys are probably hitting in the morning time. It doesn't really tell us what time of day, but since there's people we'll see later like herding these pigs, it's probably daytime. Uh, and so they, when he steps out, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now we would say this is a, a guy with a demon. Y'all know what demons are? A, a demon is basically a fallen angel from way back when. So used to be up in heaven with God, and then about a third of these angels fell, and now they're roaming the earth until the appointed time, right? And we'll see in a minute, it's not just a guy with one demon. This guy has thousands of demons that are pent up in one guy. It is freaky, and it's real danger. Now, this isn't a ghost story. This is, I mean immeasurable power in this one guy and he's just being tormented by these demons all right verse three he lived among the tombs and nobody could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he'd often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces nobody had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones Y'all, that is freaky. This, this guy, now Luke tells us this, this man is naked as well. So you have a naked guy who lives in the cemetery, in and among the tombs, who is screaming on the mountains night and day, who's cutting himself with stones and shrieking. That is freaky. That's the scariest environment imaginable, for real. You step into that, I, and it says they've been trying to tie him up for years. And now they used to be able to, but now they can't anymore. They even tied him up with chains and they put shackles around his wrist and he would just just break the shackles into pieces and wrench the chains apart. That is a super strong, I mean, un- superhuman strength. And he's running through the mountain, shrieking and cutting. It is freaky. It's crazy. It, it, it even like there's layers to it too, because you think, all right, this is gross. I don't know if you know. He lived among the tombs, like, what's he eating? Nobody's bringing this guy food. I mean, probably the unthinkable here. But nobody's going to visit their family's gravesite anymore. I mean, he's probably just tortured people that have come out there. It is real danger. Now, Jesus knew this guy was here. He's coming on purpose. And what's the purpose? He wants to rescue this guy. He's, he's got hope for this man. But for the man, you've got to think about what his life's like. His mind is never clear. If he's got thousands of demons in his head, his mind is never clear. It's got to be filled with just terrible voices and terrible thoughts. His his body has got to be tortured by nature. He's naked out there in the wilderness and by demons where he's got no clothes. He's got no reason in his mind. He's got no home. He's got no safety. He's got no sleep. He's just wandering and screaming and bleeding. It is a living hell. I mean, as close as you can get to a taste of hell on earth. Now, we know there's other layers to this story, too, because for all this region, you know, for the Jews, this guy's the most unclean guy possible. I mean, he's 
first off, a Gentile probably. He's living in a Gentile area. Second, he's demon-possessed, literally an unclean spirit. He is, uh, he's living among the dead, which is the most unclean situation for a Jew. You know, this, he lives in this community where pig herding is, this, uh, is like a big occupation. So this whole area would have been really unclean to Jews. This guy is like beyond unclean. He's totally untouchable. He, he's past all hope. He wouldn't have even been allowed in the temple. Like he, he couldn't have even approached God's presence. But what's crazy about this story is that God's presence here enters this man's unclean world. That's, it's really awesome here. Only Jesus would approach this man for salvation, not destruction. Because in reality, the demons wanted destruction. You know, some commentators would be like, okay, the reason he's cutting himself is he's trying to kill himself. He's trying to end this situation. I don't necessarily think so. I think it's the demons that are just long-term torturing this guy. The demons wanted destruction. The people wanted to bind him and then abandon him. But only Jesus would approach him. Okay, so you got the scene? Crazy gap on the mountains. The boat, it grounds to the, to the shore here. And it says, this guy sees the boat and goes nuts. He starts running at the boat, which is freaky. I imagine him running on all fours just because it's freakier. But like, you know, and, and like, just running towards the boat. And all these, I imagine all the disciples are like, no, heck no, heck no. Back, like, let get back in the boat. And like, they're trying to shove off or whatever. Like, I imagine they're panicking. But then it says this, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. And then he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, don't torture me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He's running towards the boat, and then he sees Jesus and stops. This is different. What's crazy is like the demons instantly know who he is. From afar, they instantly know who he is. They've known him for thousands of years. That's crazy to think about. They recognize him, and they fall down before Jesus. Now, the demons aren't worshiping Jesus. They're just submitting to him, right? They recognize who he is, and there's this scream. It says they, they cry out with a loud voice. They scream, and then there's a question. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, don't torment me. In another uh, gospel, there, it, this story is in three of the gospels. In another gospel, it says, uh, don't send us into the abyss. Here's what I don't want, want us to miss. The demons are scared of Jesus. Jesus has all power. As a kid, I struggle with this a lot. Like, I, you know, almost thinking like Jesus, the powers of good and the powers of evil were like equal. They're not, right? These demons are terrified of, of Jesus. But imagine if you're the man. I don't know how clear this guy's brain was at this point. I don't know how much he could think and see. But if he could think and see even a little bit clearly, can you imagine how much hope he had immediately? Like everybody, when the demons come running at him, they're taken off, right? They couldn't even tie him up anymore. But then when these guys, when the demons see Jesus, they fall on their face. Imagine if you're the man for the first time, you got this tiny glimmer of hope. Like, oh, this is different. They're doing something different. They feel different. They're, they're scared. So he, he probably has hope for the, most time, for, for the first time in a long time. Like, this guy's more powerful. You think about this man's not been subdued by chains, but now he's subdued by just the presence of Jesus. Y'all, Jesus has all power over wind, over waves, over diseases, over demons, over Satan himself. 
He has all power. That's, that's what Mark's all about showing us is, is the authority of Jesus. And it's funny because Mark starts out his whole gospel saying, this is the gospel of Jesus, the son of God. And that's a major title for him. But humans don't call Jesus the son of God until like almost the very end chapter of Mark where that centurion at the cross said, surely this was the son of God. You know, they say that he's the Messiah, but until the end of the, of the book of Mark, they don't say he's the son of God. But what's crazy is the demons here say, oh, that's the son of God. They recognize exactly who he is. Here, here's what tripped me up today. So I'm downstairs in the office studying this morning, and I read the, the sentence, uh, I adjure you by God. Don't torture me. Why are, why are these demons appealing to God? What, what are they saying? And some people think that it's a, like some vain attempt to put like a curse on Jesus. Like, hey, if I say God's name, maybe he won't do it. Maybe he'll be powerless. Because for demons, there's some, uh, all right, so there's some belief in the ancient world that like naming someone uh, lets you have power over them. We'll get to that a little more in a second. But like Matthew's account shed some more light on this, I adjure you by God. See, Matthew's, don't get tripped up by Matthew's account. He lists two guys that were demon possessed. That's not necessarily a contradiction that Mark focuses on the one who's more vocal maybe or the one who's more extreme just because he doesn't mention the other guy doesn't mean it didn't happen but uh, Matthew has the demons asking the question a little bit different he says the demons say have you come to torture us before the time before the time like they acknowledge there is a time in the future where we're going to be destroyed where we're going to be tortured Uh, it's crazy because they acknowledge their ultimate fate but right now they're they're terrified of the immediate what I'm saying is, maybe this is why they're appealing to God. Hey, Jesus, God said that we wouldn't be destroyed till the end. There, there's an ultimate, like, appointed future time for our destruction. But it's not yet. It's not yet. It's crazy that, that the demons recognize that's not supposed to happen at your first coming. It's supposed to happen at your second coming. The demons have some good theology. But you know what's missing is submission and love. And I think there's lessons for us there. Like, you can have good theology without submitting to Jesus. But, you know, that doesn't change the fact that in this situation, Jesus is 100% in control. You know, this happens right after he calms the storm. He just showed us, I'm more powerful than nature. Now he's showing, I'm more powerful than the supernatural. Verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? Remember I said there's some sort of ancient belief like it that that if you could get someone to say their name you had power over them or if you had named them and here the demons had had tried to have power over jesus by saying his name jesus the son of the most high but jesus he turns it on them and he forces them to say their name but what they say is pretty freaky look jesus asked him what's your name and he replied my name is legion for we are many nope I'm out. That is the freakiest. I'll be like, oh, heck no. Uh, So a legion, a Roman legion in that day is a group of soldiers, depending on the time period, but it's about 5,000 soldiers. So there's a lot of demons in here. And if you think about how powerful an angel is, you know, these guys are fallen angels. So in 2 Kings, there's a story where one angel in one night kills 185,000 soldiers. (laughs) So imagine what 5,000 of them can do. Yeah, this is like nuclear power in this 
I mean, it, we know in a minute it's at least 2,000 fa- uh, fallen angels. So this has the makings of a showdown where you got, oh, all these fallen angels, they're probably so mad about being cast out, and then they're going against the one who cast them out, and so th- it has the makings of this great showdown. But it's not because they, know they have no power. They're completely powerless against Jesus. His power is unrivaled. Man, for real, one of the things that just stands out to me in this story over and over is just, do you know how much power Jesus has? These guys are begging for mercy. Thousands of demons begging for his mercy. Look at what they ask. And he begged them, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged Jesus saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter the pigs. Why? Why did they say, let us go to the pigs? I don't know. Uh, you know, some people say they needed to go somewhere, and so they're trying to bargain with Jesus, like, okay, okay, just don't send us into the abyss. Don't destroy us. We won't go into another human. We'll go into the pigs. You Jews don't even like pigs. We'll just go there, and we'll just, sh- we'll just live out our days. Some people say that that's the reason. I-, I don't know. But it's interesting that, like, now they're begging. Because one demon had spoken, and now it said they begged him. So all the demons are chiming in, begging, begging, please, 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 please. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. In Matthew, it's just one word. He says, go. This is freaky. And the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. Have y'all heard this story before? If you haven't, it's like, what? What is happening? All right, he gave them permission. I think the term permission is theological. It shows us Jesus is in control. The demons couldn't do anything without his permission. Okay, so we don't really know why they said, can we go into the pigs? But what we can really come closer to is, why did Jesus let them go into the pigs? Think about that. Why did Jesus let them go? I I think there's three reasons that kind of came to mind. The first one is the one that popped up first for me, which is, it's showing everybody it's for real. It's not an act. Like, it's not some stage thing. You remember back in Mark 2, uh, where the guy was lowered down from the ceiling? Y'all remember that? And he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's kind of confused by that. And he's like, okay, so that you can know that I have the authority to forgive sins, your legs are fixed. He shows them this isn't just like a, ooh, like waving his hand and nothing's really happening. So here he's not just saying, demons, be gone. And this guy's like, Huh? You know, like, it's not like a staged, okay, he's a staged actor. Y'all have seen shows like that. My kids and I love the uh, Carbonaro effect. Y'all ever watch that? You should. It's like a staged magic show, but it gets me every time. Every single trick, I'm like, huh? But it's all staged, but it's fun. But I think it's to show them, like, there's something real that's happening here. When the demons go into the pigs, something actual happens. I think the second reason Jesus let them go into the pigs is... I think maybe to show what the demons are all about. Destruction. That's their game, right? That's, that's their playlist. They, they didn't have to destroy the pigs, but that's what they're about. The third one, I think, third reason I think he let them go into the pigs was, I think it's a statement of value. Like, because I've read some people that are really offended that Jesus would waste that, <laughs> that amount of pigs. You know, and not necessarily for, like, animal rights or whatever, but they were like, you know, this is kind of like the economy for this whole region. 2,000 pigs, that's a big waste. He's killing innocent pigs, or these pigs would be worth a fortune to the people. But I think it's, he's showing his compassion to sacrifice something so costly for just one human life. It's really compassion. So, what's your name? My name's Legion, for we are many. They begged him, just send us into the pigs. 
So Jesus gave them permission, go. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. What was that like? That had to be the craziest few seconds. Imagine this guy's like, he's screaming and begging at Jesus, and Jesus says, go. Could you see the demons? Because, okay, you got this this herd of 2,000 pigs and these guys that are herding the pigs, and... uh, All of a sudden, they're seeing this whole thing play out where the demons come out of the sky and go into the pigs. If you could see the demons, that's freaky. If you couldn't see the demons, still freaky. Because you imagine all the pigs, all at once, they're all 2,000 of them doing their thing, just just whatever they do. And all of a sudden, all, all right, here's what I imagine. All at once, all of them go, just look up, and the herdsmen are like, oh, shoot. And they all just and just start going foo 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 just flying off this ba-blam ba-blam splash all into the ocean and everybody's going oh my gosh what the heck like can you imagine how freaky that a mass suicide of pigs look at the next verse the herdsmen fled yeah they fled they're like oh heck no we, we out. They're running. And it says they fled and they told it in the city and the country. It's a crazy, crazy thing. But again, zoom back to the man. Can you imagine him for, I mean, just think about his mind for a second. It's been just demons just tormenting his body and his mind and his soul. And all of a sudden, just like the ocean went, that's what his mind did. Just still and quiet and peaceful for once. It is, man, it's the most beautiful moment. Now, I imagine Jesus, I imagine he went over and put his arm around this unclean man that nobody would touch, nobody would approach. I imagine that he called him by his name, his real name, which we don't get, but he probably knew. I imagine, you know, later on he's got clothes on and he's washed. I imagine he takes him down to the beach and says, I I think you're about Andrew's size and gets him a jacket and they take a moment. It's just a beautiful moment. So the herdsmen had run off, and now they're coming back. And it says, and uh, they ran off and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what had happened. Verse 15, and they came to Jesus, and they saw, they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. Yep, guarantee it, but look at who they're scared of. Those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. They're scared of Jesus. They're not freaked out by this guy anymore. You, you think something, they're freaked out by the one that's stronger than thousands of demons. It's crazy people don't go up to this guy and be like, hey, man, I'm so glad that happened. You know, <laughs> you're wearing clothes. Good for you, man. This is great. I've been, you know, it's been scary times, like, they're like, oh, that's different. They look straight to Jesus and say, you got to go. It's not the response we expect, right? We expect them to come and be like, oh, man, that's great. Tell us more. But, you know, eh, what's crazy is the crowd is always asking Jesus for a miracle. Hey, show us a miracle and we'll believe. Not necessarily. You know, they're cool with, like, the fish sandwich type of miracles where they get bettered. But here, this miracle made them poorer. But it helped this man. And I, 
I've read some people say that the, that the townspeople were really upset about the financial loss, and so that's why they tell him he's got to go, that they just wanted their life to return to normal, so they needed him gone. I don't think that's it at all, because they never mention the pigs. No mention of the pigs at all. I think they're freaked out by Jesus. Like, this power is unnatural, and instead of it driving instead of it driving them to like dive deeper and figure out like what's the source of this who who are you like they don't dive deeper to see the power of purity they just link it into the same scary category as the power of destruction you know what i'm saying that's freaky that's also freaky y'all just gotta go luke's account says that the reason they asked them to go was because they were seized with great fear we don't understand any of this you you, you gotta go I think fear is a normal response. I don't read this. Fear is a normal response when God reveals himself. You can see it all throughout scripture. Even look at the last story with the storm. They were filled with great fear. When were the disciples filled with great fear in the storm story? After the storm was was calmed. Having Yahweh in your boat was more scary than the storm. Having Yahweh subdue the demons is more powerful and scary than the demons he dominated. When we see Christ as he really is, there's a dividing line where some people accept and draw near and some people reject. And I think here when Jesus' real authority is shown, they don't want any part of it. You think about it. There's no thank you. There's no inquiry into who you are. It, it is confusing. And I read a bunch of different people that, that said a bunch of different things. Like some people think, do they love the darkness rather than the light? I don't know. Is, is it just more than they can or want to process? Do they would just want life back to normal? I don't know, but there's a rejection of sorts, and they ask him to leave. And you know what he does? He leaves. And there's no record of Jesus ever returning to this specific area again, which is sad. Verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. That's awesome. And that would be a great ending. Because you think, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. This guy's got a new lease on life. Think about the ministry this guy could have. If he travels with the disciples, he could say, man, I used to have all these demons inside of me. And now look at what Jesus has done. Like it just makes sense that he would go with him. Verse 19, and Jesus didn't permit him to go. He said, no. It's crazy because Jesus all the time is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then this one guy comes and says, let me jump in the boat. I'll follow you. And he says, no. Why? He said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And then he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, remember that word, he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everybody marveled. Why didn't Jesus let the man go? It's grace for him, but it's also grace for the town. He had a job for him to do. And he's... He's sending this man out to a region where they wouldn't listen to Jesus. They wouldn't listen to Jesus' miracles, but they would listen to this guy. It's crazy. After what they'd seen, that they wouldn't listen. But, you know, because sometimes when Jesus heals a person, he tells them, keep it quiet. But here he tells this man, tell everybody. And what's ironic is he sends him home, which is the hardest place in the world for this guy to be. Yeah, think about that. This guy can't get a job after this. Now all these people be thinking he's going to revert back to his old self. I don't know if he's got a family. I don't know how much he's rejected, but it's got to be way harder than a new place where he could start over. And I think there's lessons for us to meditate on there too. Just the first one that pops into our mind is like, just because your situation is difficult doesn't mean that that's not where God wants you. I mean, he's sending him to the hardest place to go. 
Here's what's crazy. In Mark, this is the first missionary sent out before the disciples. He's the first guy. Here's what's crazier. This man's got no training. He's a Gentile. He doesn't understand the Old Testament mysteries. He doesn't understand all the prophecies of the Messiah. He probably doesn't understand the Trinity. It's okay. Like, he told the simple, miraculous story of that Jesus rescued me. He changed me. Because Jesus here, he's not going to return to this region, but he sent his representative. He sent his ambassador here. It's just grace on top of grace on top of grace. So this man probably for the next decade tells the simple story of how, man, Jesus saved me. Because you know people are asking. He probably explains that, no, 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 no. This guy's power is not like the demon power. This power is compassionate. This power is clean. This power is pure. He becomes God's messenger in this area. So let me just wrap this story up with just, just three thoughts uh, that I think we're meant to learn here. Three things that just jumped out of the text to me. The first one is this. If you don't know Jesus today, I think he can completely change you and make you free. If we learn anything from this story, it's that Jesus is stronger than your sin. That's it. There's nothing you've done. There's no area you've messed up in that's so bad that Jesus can't overcome it. I mean, we're talking about thousands of demons here. But you've got to recognize if you're not in Christ, you're not really free. You know what I mean? You're controlled by your sin like this guy was controlled by these demons. You may believe otherwise, but he's strong enough to set you free from your sin and deliver you. The second big thing I think that we can learn is Jesus is showing us who he is in these stories. Two aspects. I think, number one, he's showing us his authority. He's showing us, hey, not only is there another realm, but he's saying, I'm totally in control of it. Why did Jesus go to this remote, rural region? I think one reason was to teach the disciples, to answer their question, to show them I'm more powerful. You know, he's answering their question, which is, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And ironically, the demons answered the question. This is the son of the most high God. He has authority over wind and waves and the supernatural. He, this is partially what he's doing here is showing who he is to the disciples. Second thing I think he's doing of, of, of showing up to this rural area is he's showing his compassion. Why did Jesus go to this remote region? For that one guy. That's it. That one guy. He loved him. It's worth the trip. It's worth the pigs. This one man. Because now this guy's free. He's clean where he has been unclean and unlovable, Jesus enters into the world, into this guy's world, and clears his mind for the first time in years. And you think about this guy. No matter what happens for the rest of his life, even if he never meets up with Jesus again, even if he never sees another healing, another miracle, he can always look back and say, but he did rescue me from darkness. And I think the same thing is true for us. If you are a Christian, Even if you never see Jesus show up in your finances or show up in your health or whatever, like, you know you've already seen the biggest possible miracle that he's taken us from death to life. You can look back on that and always remember. We can always look back on that and see his grace on us. And that brings us to the last point, which is seeing Christ's power in you should change everything for you. (laughs) Okay, so it's been a crazy day for the disciples, right? The, the overnight boat trip, the calming of the sea, the arriving, the horror show, and then the healing, and then this guy's here, and then uh, you got to go, and then this guy's, can I come, and then no, you can't. Can you imagine, like, how much more solid the disciples' faith is after this 24-hour period? 
They've seen, oh, powerful over nature, powerful over the supernatural, and he loves people. They've watched it happen. They have a weak moment later on, but you see that this is the rock-solid faith that's, that's used to spread the gospel. Seeing Christ's power in you should change everything for you. You think about this man. You know everybody asked this man, all right, man, what was it like? Because he's back in his hometown. What was it like when all the demons were in there? Then what, did, what, what were you thinking when Jesus showed up on the beach? And then what happened? They came out. Could you see him? Like, I, I, you imagine he goes back and proclaims, and he proclaims in that region. Remember, it says he proclaimed in the Decapolis. That word Decapolis means ten cities. So that means he didn't just go to his city. He went city to city to city to city to city to city, and he's telling everybody how much Jesus did. He becomes a missionary to this area. It's beautiful. The first missionary that Mark records is being sent out. So I think the third thing we should see is because of what he's done in us. Now, obviously, this is an extreme example, but like the difference in our lives should be a megaphone for Jesus's glory, meaning your friends and coworkers and kids, family members, they should see and hear the difference. We should tell. We don't have to know all the theology. We don't have to have every, you know, it's okay if you don't understand all the mysteries. You, this guy didn't. Just be faithful to tell what Jesus has done. See, when Jesus went back into the boat, he didn't let this man join him, but he said, go tell your friends how much the Lord's done for you. When Jesus went into heaven, he didn't bring all Christians with him. When we get saved, we're not immediately beamed up into heaven. He says, go tell your friends how much Jesus has done for you. Because just like these guys wouldn't listen to Jesus' miracles, they wouldn't set foot in the synagogue, but they'd listen to this guy. Same thing. You know, you got friends and family members. They'd never come to Red Oak. They're not going to be cracking the Bible, but they are going to be watching you. They're going to be listening to you. And maybe God's put you as a representative in your business. Maybe God set you as a representative in your neighborhood to tell. So that's why Jesus performed this miracle of delivering this man. That's why he performed the miracle of delivering us, to make himself known to more and more people, to show who he is, and just to rescue you because he loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this. It's uh, such a crazy story, but it shows us so much about who you are. I thank you for including it. I thank you for saving this guy. Um, Lord, I, I pray for us that we would we'd get what you wanted us to get when you wrote this, uh, that we'd understand that you're more powerful than not just nature but the supernatural, even now. God, I, I pray that we would see you as stronger than our sin, that we'd look back on the miracle you've already done in our lives, and that would make us bold to share uh, what you've done for us in the future. I pray that we'd take a cue from this guy, Lord, and that we'd begin to proclaim in the city around us uh, what you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.